We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone. I am Sadder. This is a sad podcast recap. Anyway, this is the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. Check it out. The best burger you will find. Great beers, great worsts, really great spot for your family or your friends. I'm Justin Graver coming to you in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports joined by Justin Mello. And we're going to recap a very sad effort by the Titans as they get demolished 41 to 7 on national television by the Buffalo Bills. Luckily everyone was watching the Eagles Vikings game and not the Titans Bills game. Justin, what's up? Well, this is uh I mean, it was the worst loss in the Mike Vrabel era, right? I think that goes without saying and uh you know, I I think a, a lot of accountability here and um I usually say I'm excited, but I don't know how excited I am to get into this. I mean, anytime you lose by 34, uh, you're outscored 24 nothing in the third quarter. You're outcoached. You're outplayed. Uh, this is going to be a tough one to recap. Yeah, it will be tough because it's hard to really like. A lot of times you can kind of pinpoint where where the team went wrong. It was like, this if this play goes different or a few inflection points. I do think there were a few inflection points, but I'm just going to read you really quick. The score of the game after each quarter, just to show how this really snowballed into a disaster for the Titans. After one, it was 7-7. After two, at halftime, it was 17-7. Still a manageable deficit, especially with the Titans getting the ball coming out to start the second half. After three, it was 41-7. to And that was your final score as well. So this thing... I mean, we talk about inflection points. I want to run through a few of them. I'll, I'll tell them to you, and then you respond, and then I'll get to the next one. The first one, I think, was fourth and one from the Titans' four-yard line. Josh Allen takes a snap, starts rolling to his left. He's got a running back leaking out in the flat on a little swing pass to his left, read perfectly by the Titans, or so they thought. This was all a disguise so that Stefan Diggs could leak back to the right side of the field while all the defense goes left. Josh Allen tosses to Diggs for a wide-open touchdown, and bang, there it is. Uh, the, the Bills go up, I believe, 17-7 at that point, and uh, they never really looked back. If the Titans get a stop on that fourth and one, they'll take over with a minute remaining in the half and a chance to go down and get a field goal to at least tie or a touchdown to take the league. Uh, a few plays I mean, before they that... Wouldn't uh, have, but, sure, they, would they wouldn't have, but... A few plays before that, Amani Hooker had a chance for an interception in the end zone, didn't really control the ball, wasn't reviewed, although it definitely should have been at least reviewed. Like They should have at least stopped play to review it, which is crazy that they didn't. But um, your thoughts on this first inflection point here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those turning points, right? You said if you get a stop there, you're down 10-7. Uh, you're on your own four-yard line as it was a minute left or so. So I can't imagine the Titans were gonna would have been overly aggressive in trying to get down the field. I think they go into the half down 10-7. I mean, they were content to go into the half down 17-7 right after they yeah. took that sack and essentially just ran the clock out. So I don't think the Titans would have been aggressive and, and tried to go get points there, not from their own four-yard line. But 
10 7 is a different ball game. I think you're pretty content with that. But I agree with what you said. We're at 17 7. I mean, it's not perfect, obviously, but I didn't feel terrible about it at the time, right? It felt yeah. like this is still a ball game. Titans are in this game. They've got a fourth down stop. They had strung together a great first quarter drive to tie the game at seven apiece. So you certainly felt like this was still a ball game heading into the third quarter. Yes, but you also felt like coming out of the third quarter, and this is my next inflection point, the Titans got to get a score. They got to come down the field and at least get three on this opening second half drive, and they don't. They, uh, I believe they went four and out. They got one first down, maybe five and out, but definitely did not put together a drive, um, and they punt the ball back to Buffalo in a, at a time where it felt like Buffalo's offense was totally unstoppable. The only time the Titans' defense was able to get a stop was when they held Buffalo to that fourth and one, and then they held them to a fourth and one that turned into a false start, fourth and six, kicked a field goal. Like, Buffalo was content to go for it on those fourth and ones, and I I feel like the Titans' defense was trying to employ the same strategy they employed last year with great success, and as we talked about with Joe Marino in our preview podcast, that they were going to do this. They were going to back up, don't let anything over the top, don't get beat deep, force the Bills to make plays in front of you and get downhill and tackle, And they tried that, and it didn't work. It didn't really work at all. I I thought the linebackers were very poor in coverage. David Long got lost a few times with guys behind him over the middle. I felt like Roger McCreary and Caleb Farley and Trey Avery and all the the corners that were rolled through there, and Chris Jackson included, were playing very off off the receivers, giving the receivers a huge cushion. And... Instead of like coming up and making a tackle to make it second and seven or second and eight, you know, after a dump off pass, it was like second and one after Stefan Diggs catches it on the sideline and stiff arms Roger McCreary into oblivion or whoever is out there trying to guard him. And uh, then you're in second and one, and it's like, you know, you can do it. The whole playbook's wide open to you in that situation. So the Titans you know tried this all game. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, and you probably no, won't remember this. And I don't know if any of our listeners will remember this because I don't have as many details as I'd like to share. But it might have been DeAndre Hopkins last year in Houston. Because I remember it being not that long ago where they played Houston. I think they had some corners banged up. He was lined up. I I feel like it was Chris Jackson as a rookie, but it probably wasn't because I don't know if those timelines add up. He was lined up against someone in coverage that was totally unprepared to cover DeAndre Hopkins. And he just caught eight, nine, 10 yard passes the entire game. Like they just, they've got whoever, whichever scrub was covering him, just played off coverage the whole game, gave up 10 yards every single pass and just made the tackle. That's all they were trying to keep in front, make the tackle. And they were nickel and dime the entire game. I know for a fact it was DeAndre Hopkins and I know it was in Houston. It wasn't that long ago. So it was probably his last year in Houston. I'm thinking that's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah, I totally agree. It was just, the Titans went with the we're going to make you dink and dunk down the field and eventually you'll screw up strategy and the Bills didn't screw up. I mean, they had two plays I can remember that were like imperfect by Josh Allen. One was the first fourth and one where Kevin Byer got in the backfield and forced him into a pretty stupid play. And the other was like a, a second and short or th- maybe it was third and short where he grounded it at the feet of a receiver yeah. in the flat. I think it was second. Second down. Every other play by Josh Allen this game was like perfect. Did they even have like a false start or a holding penalty on the O line? Like, they had recall. one false start on a fourth and one that that led to the field goal. Right, but it I wasn't a questionable like, call. In all honesty, yeah, right, that was the one right. where it looked like the Titans flinched first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we're gonna get more into this game and talk more about things that disappointed us, and mostly talk about like where the Titans need to make changes, but probably won't 
and I want to do a segment called Overreacting with You. But first, we need to take a quick break and remind you all to visit the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in East Nashville. It's something I want to feature this time that I'm telling you that we haven't really talked too much about. The best way to support the pharmacy is with carry-out orders. This will ensure the highest quality of food for you and your family. Takeout orders can be placed on their website, over the phone, and of course, in person. Look, this is a locally owned and operated restaurant. They have been since day one. And if you really want to support them and you can't dine in, a takeout order is the best way to do it. Tell them Music City Audible sent you over. Justin, thoughts on the pharmacy here? Yeah, if I could add one thing, uh, the Titans might disappoint you for the rest of your life, but the pharmacy never will. So head over to the pharmacy, get a local brew, get a burger, drown your sorrows. Is life meaningless? Yes. Are the Titans bad at football? Yes. Does the pharmacy make an incredible burger with a great selection of sides, worsts, and local brews? Also, yes. Absolutely. So head over to the Pharmacy Burger Beer Garden located in East Nashville on 731 McFerrin Avenue. Back to this game recap, which is uh, much less fun to talk about than the Pharmacy, if I'm being totally honest. Um, Yeah, the Titans defense, while I was on that subject, I wanted to say, you know, they tried to take away the deep shot, and then they end up giving up a huge deep ball to Jake Kumaro, who beats Caleb Farley down the left sideline. And then they give up, obviously, the long touchdown to Stefan Diggs, who just put Trey Avery in a blender on that play with the f- fake outside back over to the middle. And, I mean, he could have run the outside deep route and would have been wide open. <laughs> he didn't need to do the, the double move there, but he did, and it was the result was a long touchdown. Can I point something out that uh, I don't think it's off topic uh, per se, but it just kind of occurred to me while you were speaking, and I haven't seen anyone mention this on Twitter yet, I don't think, and I'm kind of surprised. Um, go back to week one. When did that Titans-Giants game start to go the other way? Second half. Third quarter. Third quarter. Right. Saquon, Bar- or Saquon Barkley comes out, has a four-yard touchdown in the third quarter, but remember he had broken off a huge one, right? And then you uh, later in the third quarter, you get Sterling Shepard, right, with a 65-yard touchdown. Giant- Giants outscore the Titans- 13-7 in that quarter. Worth acknowledging, though, they scored 13 consecutive. No, sorry, I was it? Yeah, 13 consecutive points. So they went for a two-point conversion on the first one. So 13 consecutive points for the Giants in that third quarter. Where did this snowball against Buffalo? Third quarter, right? Titans outscored 24-0 in that quarter. So they have now been outscored, what, 37-7 to in the third quarter um, through two losses. Uh, that's obviously something that has to change immediately if they're going to have any success. It's a bit of a concerning sign, right? That third quarter, of course, is fresh out of halftime. You're talking about, you know, coaching adjustments at the half, um, you know, trying to swing momentum the other way. And the Titans have just been obliterated in both third quarters this season. And on that subject, it felt like the Titans were not making adjustments. Like I felt like they came out of the half and tried to run the exact same stuff on offense and the exact and it didn't work and the exact same stuff on defense and they continued to get gashed whether it was a third and 14 that turned into a third and 9 because of an offsides where the the receiver tight Dawson Knox maybe was wide open over the middle on a third and 9 or continuing to play extremely off the receivers Paul Kuharski had an interesting tweet during the game talking about Caleb Farley is always battling receivers physically at the line of scrimmage in practice. it was Buck that said that. Oh, maybe this was Buck. Excuse me, yeah. Uh, uh, Going up and battling receivers at the line of scrimmage, jamming them, press coverage in practice, and then he gets in the game and he looks like a scared little cat that has no idea what's coming for him and backs off immediately. You know how cats just just like bolt away from any 
sign of danger at any minute. If that's how Caleb Farley is playing cornerback right now, because frankly, he doesn't have a lot of experience. They're throwing him in the fire because Christian Fulton is hurt and they're trying to get him more reps and, and, you know, build his confidence. And it's a tough league for corners when you get beat. You know, if you lose your confidence, you're not going to be very good. And I feel like Caleb Farley is not playing with confidence in the in the games. I don't know how I got on this tangent. I was talking about adjustments, but um, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because I did want to say something uh, on that subject. And look, I understand the narratives. He hasn't played a lot of football. Uh, Tours ACL last year, had the back issues, inexperienced, still coming back from the ACL. I understand all of those things, but I'm going to be totally honest with you. I am very close to being all the way out on Caleb Farley. Like if I was a betting man and you asked me, do you think Caleb Farley is going to be a good NFL player, a starting caliber NFL corner? I'm at like 97% no. Like I, I just don't really see this thing getting turned around. 49 total defensive snaps against the Bills on Monday accounted for 72% of Tennessee's overall defensive plays. That was higher than I thought it was watching live, in all honesty. 72%. Hearns, the team's second-worst coverage grade of all corners at 44.8. That's awful. In most weeks, it would be the worst grade. The only reason it's not is because Trey Avery earned a 26.4. You saw that that clip circulating Twitter. I mean, you saw it live, but Diggs put Farley in an absolute blender on one route. It was embarrassing. I think Farley said... Uh, he had some weird quote where I was expecting a fight. I don't know if he thought he meant it was going to be more of a physical route or whatever. He gets totally lost in the dust, left in the dust on that one. I think the one, like, I understand it's one rep, but the one that just went, made me go, dear God, was the 40-yard reception to Jake Kumaro. Like, let's make it clear. I understand every NFL player is capable of winning on occasion. Jake Kumaro is barely an NFL rosterable player. Right at this point, he's a veteran journeyman, was in Green Bay several years ago. He's a special teams guy. Like that 40 yard catch. He's only he playing because Gabe. Farley off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. He won the battle. Like it was just all around bat. Jake Kumaro entered this season, by the way, with three catches in two seasons for the Bills. Like this is, I think this is his third yeah. year in Buffalo. He had three catches the previous two years. The only reason he's night. playing is because Gabe Davis is out. Like, otherwise, he's not even playing in this and game. And every other receiver they have happens to be a slot guy. Right? <laughs> like, Jay Kumaro is not as good as Jamison Crowder. He's not as good as Isaiah McKenzie. He's probably not even good as good as the rookie receiver they have there, uh, Khalil Shakir. Uh, Khalil Shakir coming out of Boise State. All three of those guys are probably better receivers than Jake Kumaro. They all happen to be slot guys. If even one of those guys was a boundary guy, Jake Kumaro doesn't see the field on Monday. What does he do? He does, and he just dusts Caleb Farley for a 40-yard reception. Like, I am pretty much all the way out on Caleb Farley. You can probably add him to the pile of first-round busts. Well, I think that it is a little too early to write him off because I do think that I'm with you. I'm project. I'm I, I'm doing a little projecting here. Don't no, get me wrong, but I, I think do this not is a great this is a great segue into what I wanted to do, which is let's overreact for a second. Let's say the things that we know are probably too early to say that could definitely change. It's only a two game sample size. By the way, we should note because we haven't talked about it yet. Taylor Lewan uh, left the game on a cart after a non contact injury. We'll Looks just like throw his that in there like that though. Yeah, I do, because honestly, I'm over it. Like, Taylor Lewan's been in and out of the lineup for the last three years. He has not played at the Pro Bowl level that we that we knew him as early in his career in a long time now. And I think that, you know, it's sad to say, but that was probably the last uh, 
Probably the last time we'll see Taylor Lewan. The first snap of the game he got hurt on. Probably the last snap Taylor Lewan plays in a Titans uniform. So let's just, we should do this really quick and then we'll get to overreactions. Yeah, I mean, at the time of this recording, nothing's been confirmed yet, but Buck Buck is reporting, Buck Rising, that is, is reporting that it's a season ending injury. They fear for Taylor Lewan still undergoing tests, additional tests, and all that. But, you know, Buck is pretty plugged in, let's be honest, especially with that crew, right? The busting with the boys crew, Taylor Lewan, Will Compton, they seem to have a personal relationship. I'm not claiming, you know, I don't know who Buck's source is, obviously, but. Just saying, Buck is pretty plugged into that, uh, you know, area of the team. So uh, probably safe to assume Buck is getting good information on this. If it is a season-ending injury, quick thing I want to note, you know, Mike Herndon, Mike Miracles, had tweeted it earlier, and it it really kind of put it to perspective how injury-prone Taylor Lewan has been. If this is a season-ending injury, Lewan will have only played in 20 of the last – of 50, the last 50 Titans games. Now, that's – again, that's – taking this to the end of the year at 50, but right. they'll only have played of 20 in the last 50. It's 20 games played, 30 games missed. They can save $14.8 million by like, that is so much money. Like you can cut him and then go pay another really good free agent left tackle. You don't have, I actually, it's a little early, but that's probably my preferred method at this point. No more drafting them, please. I think we're done with that experiment. The way right. this has gone. So you're going to save $14.8 million tack on a couple of mil. I don't go pay someone 15, $20 million a year. Go get a premier left tackle in free agents. Overpay somebody. It's okay to overpay somebody sometimes. It's Absolutely. not okay to ask, the, ask Jacksonville how they feel right now about overpaying Kristen Kirk. He's right. electric for them. Yeah, exactly. So honestly, like all, everything, all that said, like everything I just said and everything you just said into perspective, but Taylor Lewan, a great career in Tennessee overall, had the left tackle position locked down for years. It's maybe oh, premature boy. of me to do, but um, I am going to say like, it was great to have Taylor Lewan as a Titan, and now the Titans will look to move into a new era with a new Very franchise premature. left tackle. I'm just going to say, I know. Great, like, we need to wait to hear confirmation that this is season ending. He could be back this year, right? But if he's we'll not, see about that. then yeah, it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to release him in the offseason. All right. With that out of the way, I also should note Bud Dupree left the game in the first quarter. They uh, were reports that out there that he, it doesn't seem too serious. Like he could possibly play this week against Vegas. If not, we'll probably see him again soon. So that's good news. Um, but let's get into these overreactions now. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, can I just before we get into the overreactions, two quick things I want to note. I want to add to my Caleb Farley point earlier. I was already officially concerned when he lost a training camp battle to a rookie corner, right? Like that already kind of raised my red flag going up, you know, second year, first round pick should be beating out a first year, second round pick in this (laughs) battle. So I was already concerned about that. Just adding that. And then it just feels timely because you're talking about Taylor Luan Um, who comes into the game to replace him. Dennis Daly. Oh my God. Like I thought he was unbelievably awful. Like, first of all, team high, six pressures earned a pass blocking grade of 14.5. Allowed one hit and five hurries. This was all on just 29 pass blocking snaps. Now, this is these numbers come from pro football focus, of course. I don't know that I've ever seen a 14.5. Like, I know, you know, PFF, it's a bit subjective, and we don't always agree with what they put out there. Almost nobody does. But, um, you know, from the eye test, it was terrible. And they kept running those toss plays to the left, and he kept getting beat nonstop, and he was a turnstile in pass protection, like, if Taylor, I mean, Taylor Lewan is almost certainly not going to play again next week. Um, it, it cannot be Dennis Daly at left tackle next week. Like, 
I, I I'm going to write something and make a case for Dylan Radens. Yeah, uh, people might be frustrated to hear that, but like it cannot be Dennis Daly. Dennis Daly does not appear to be an NFL caliber tackle at, on any level, but we don't know if Dylan Radens is either. So that's a, a scary proposition. The one thing, and I, one thing I did say earlier, or, or sorry, I mean I, I wrote in an article is that. And look, I, I'm always careful not to overreact to things, and I hate when people drag things up from the past. But in this case, I have once seen Dylan Radens play a pretty decent game at left tackle for the Titans. I am extremely confident I will never witness Dennis Daly do that. Yeah, right. Of course. Agreed. It might okay. be that simple. Let's overreact. My first overreaction here, and again, these are things that we feel in the moment, but know that... We need to take a breath, and they're probably not entirely true. My first overreaction, and uh, this is maybe the most blasphemous thing I've ever said as a Titans fan. I'm over Derrick Henry. I'm over it. It's like, what are we doing here? We're building offenses around a 28-year-old running back coming off a major foot surgery. And don't get me wrong, I love Derrick Henry. And when he is on... He is so fun to watch and just like defying all the analytical nerds and the football logic and the modern era and just like ground and pound with your physical beast. But through two games, he doesn't look like that guy. The run blocking doesn't look capable of of allowing him to be that guy. And there doesn't seem to be a backup plan when it's not working. When Derek, what was it? 13 carries for 25 yards against the Bills? I think it was something like that. And the offense stalls out seven drives in a row after an opening drive that's that's nice. Like, you just, I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the plan is, you know? When, when your running back is coming off the biggest workload that any back has seen in 10 years over the last three seasons and a major foot surgery and doesn't look good to start the year, it's really concerning. I just want to make sure we're not changing the narrative on the foot surgery, right? Because a couple of months ago we were saying, and I, I still believe this, like that's not an injury that's that concerning that should carry over, right? Like it's a broken, the fifth metatarsal, whatever it was, it heals, you're good to go, right? Like it was more of a time thing than, In theory, uh, oh yes. my God, this is going to derail the next few years of his career. So I I, I can get where you're, obviously it's an, it's an overreaction to say you're, you're over derrick henry right now yeah like obviously i'm not over derrick henry but <laughs> i'm over like i'm over cheering for a team that is stuck in a run first mentality that refuses to pass the ball on first down despite when the few times they do pass on first down ryan Tannehill has been super efficient and i i'm i may be mangling this but he's like near the top of the league in epa per first down pass attempt or efficiency or some He's crushing some first down passing metric, but the Titans refuse to like lean into this and just continue I, to, to run the ball. And it's, it drives me mad. I think the reason it is going to be kind of ironic. I'm not quite where you are with this is I'm more pessimistic to a degree because I don't have any faith. Like, okay, I understand. And I agree. I don't want him to be stubborn, you know, running the ball. I hate second and 10 runs. I'm with all of that jazz, but I don't think this offense is can be fixed right now by just shifting away from a run heavy mentality to a pass heavy mentality. Cause I don't have faith in their ability to run block, but I also don't have faith in their ability to pass protect. Like I think if we were seeing a larger sample size of this first and 10 passing magic, you think you're talking about, we're just going to see more sacks and more second and 18 runs as that's, as we saw, by the way, on Monday, I'm not making that up. We saw a second and 18 run by Hassan Haskins. Um, I just think that number, that EPA, whatever you know, you're referring to, 
would just get significantly worse with a larger sample size because this team can't pass block. It, it doesn't matter. They can they can bench Derrick Henry on Monday and throw it 70 times. They're going to give up a bunch of sacks, events, a bunch of pressures, and th- th- there's no magic fix for this right now because they can't do either. They can't win in run blocking. They can't win in pass protection. So yeah. whether they're running Derrick Henry, whether they're dropping back and throwing 40 times a game, I think this offense probably sucks either way. Yeah, and I think that's a big deal, and that leads me to my second overreaction, which is that as great a head coach as Mike Vrabel has been, you can't win in this league unless you have a genius, offensive-minded guy, and he doesn't have to be the head coach, but he has to be your offensive coordinator or your head coach, and he has to be your play caller. And since the loss of Arthur Smith to the Falcons, who was a genius offensive play caller, the Titans' offense has been terrible. And yeah, they dealt with a ton of injuries last year. And yeah, it's really early this season. That's why it's an overreaction. Are the Titans going to have to move on from Mike Vrabel despite him being an incredible leader of men and a great culture guy, but because Mike Vrabel appears to have pretty stubborn offensive philosophies rooted in a ground-and-pound ball control, keep the game close, refuse to step on your throat and 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 be aggressive when you have them uh, on the ropes mentality that doesn't, like, you'd think Mike Vrabel would be a guy who wants to punch you while you're down, you know, and really end the game in the third quarter with a 30-point lead. But that's not how he's treated, basically, his time with as the Titans head coach from, you know, for the most part. He seems content to go into a play-not-to-lose mode as opposed to play-to-continue-winning mode. And, I don't know, am I overreacting? Are the Titans, did have the Titans peaked in 2019 with Mike Vrabel as their head coach and now been trying to recreate that formula that got them to the AFC Championship game with different players, you can't recreate that kind of magic. you got to evolve, and the Titans have not evolved. And they tried to evolve this year by shipping off their five of their top six pass catchers from the year before (laughs) with guys who are not as, I mean, maybe better as a whole, but without the superstar, A.J. Brown, I don't know. I I just feel like so pessimistic about the team. I mean, that'll happen after a 41-7 beatdown, but I am just in a bad place. I'm nowhere near where you are on Vrabel. I do agree that they've fallen behind the eight ball by trying to recapture 2019. I, I, I do think that's what's happened. And look, if they move on from Vrabel one day, that might be a decent prediction that it might be because of the, the stubbornness regarding the offensive philosophies. But we're like, in my opinion, at least we should be years away from that like that's not yeah. on my radar right now at all i still think mike rabel is a really good football coach and they would almost certainly hire someone worse and i know that sometimes indicates <laughs> well you, what you don't want to move on because you fear you're going to screw up the next guy and, and i get that and it's not a, a way of thinking that i typically promote or agree with but I'm, I'm i'm fairly confident you would almost hire a worse head coach and mike rabel would get a, a job uh you know 24 hours after being let go by yeah. the titan so that that's a, one thing i i do want to add to this whole coaching thing is i was awfully forgiving of todd downing last week um, you know following the giants game we talked about the same yeah. role play um look I, i'm not someone that, that that has a bias i don't have a dog in this fight when it comes to todd downing uh, I stand by what I said last week. I, I, I do think I, I have more criticism for him this week. And that's not out of frustration. Uh, the toss plays were infuriating, right? I think they ran three of them in the first half, ran all of them to the left side of the field. They lost yardage on like all three of them, right? The fact that they kept running that play over and over again, despite its failure, was, was, was mind-numbing. And to me, what might even be more frustrating is they kept running it to the left side of the field even after they lost Taylor Lewan. It's like they had predetermined they were going to run that play three, four times in the first half. They were going to run it to the left side because they've got Taylor Lewan and, and, and Aaron Brewer. But the fact that they didn't adjust after losing him, try it to the right side. 
right? Where you have mm-hmm. Nate Davis and, and Ben Jones can get out there and you've got Petit Friere who's better than Dennis Daly, right? At that point. So the fact that they kept trying that over and over again, the second and 18 run, the empty set picture that's circulating Twitter, where it was like the eligible receivers were like Tory Carter and Cody Hall and Cody Hollister, I think. And Derrick Henry was split out wide and Jeff Swain was one of them. Like, Todd Downing did call a, a pretty damn poor game outside of that first drive, right? And the same thing against the Giants. Great first script, great first script against the Bills, great first script against the Giants, and then it falls apart after that. So I do think Todd Downing deserves a lot, uh, you know, a, a fair amount of criticism for the game he called in Buffalo. I agree. Um, should we spin this to a to a positive place here before we wrap up? My, Absolutely. My positive spin is the Titans play in the AFC South. The Colts don't look very good either. The Texans are going to be one of the league's worst teams this year. 29 out of 32 teams would have beat the Denver Broncos on Sunday. The Texans find a way to lose that game. And the Jags look feisty, but there's, I mean, maybe they'll, the Jags could win the division. I don't know what I'm talking about. They could easily win the division. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not I do all think, the way in on them yet, though. Like, it's way yeah, too exactly. early to be yeah. like, you know, they, like, People already forgot they lost to the Commanders in Week One, who are by no means like Commanders got their ass kicked Sunday up and down the field by Detroit. Like it was that game was not close. It was not as close as it even looked. Like I watched most of that game. Detroit found explosive plays anytime they wanted. Jacksonville lost to that Washington team in Week One, and they beat the Colts every year, right? So let's pump the brake. Like Jacksonville doesn't win more than like maybe eight games at most. I still think it's probably like six or seven. So let's pump the brakes on Jacksonville. I do agree this division is wide open. Like uh, it, It's kind of crazy to think the Titans could start 0-3, and they're still not going to be outside of this. Like They're still going to be in the division because who's going to – is anyone going to have more than one win in the division following Sunday? Who does Jacksonville play on Sunday? I'm just looking it up now. Jacksonville plays the, – they're on the road at the Chargers. Yeah. Like Jacksonville's not going to have more than one win. There's one win total among four teams in two weeks that AFC South has won one game. And it was against its own self. So somebody was going to win. It's terrible. It's so bad. It is terrible. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. Hope you guys all enjoyed that. A reminder to check out the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville and also BroadwaySportsMedia.com. In fact, you should become a Broadway insider. Justin? Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F1. Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And also check out all the podcasts Broadway has to offer. Remember, you got Football and Other F-Words, Second and Victory, The Hot Read, and uh, a football show with Zach and Brayden. Uh, and they're broadcasting that live from the pharmacy right now. So uh, lots, of great, uh, lots of great content coming your way from Broadway. All right, that'll do it. We'll be back on Thursday with a very special guest to preview the Raiders game. Until then, Justin's on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. You guys stay safe. Until Thursday, tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.